Hallelujah. For those of you that are new, I started sharing last night about how important the Holy Spirit is in our life. And last night I was just going from Genesis all the way through the end of the Bible, showing how the Holy Spirit is how God created the world. It's how people had might come upon them. It's how people saw the dead raised. It's how they had victory in their life. It's how people were inspired to build the temple and given supernatural talents and abilities. How the Holy Spirit is the one that quickens our understanding and teaches us all things and leads us into all truth and brings all things to our remembrance. How we have an understanding from the Holy One and we know all things And just on and on and on, we talked about that the Holy Spirit is what gives us power and ability. And we shared about the disciples, how they were weak and fearful men. And then after they received the Holy Spirit, people took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. And this is what people need is the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. This morning I was sharing that this isn't automatic at salvation. I gave at least four or five different examples in the Bible where people received salvation and then afterwards received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is not the same as getting born again. It is a separate experience. And if you don't understand that, and if you think you got everything when you got born again, then there's going to be no motivation on your part to seek for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you'll miss out on the power of God. And I tell you, we need this. And it was powerful. Altogether, we've seen over 150 people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit this week. And, uh, you know, 120 people on the day of Pentecost turned the world right side up. So if we, we've now got the beginning of the Spirit working in our life. And if we were to just take those people who've received this week, and if all of those people developed it and submitted and had the power of the Holy Spirit working in their life to its full potential we could see a, another tremendous transformation come just out of this meeting. That's powerful. And, you know, we've seen great miracles. We've seen a lot of things happen, and I'm convinced a lot of it's because as you talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, it gets people out of just thinking naturally, normally. They start believing for different things, and they get different results. And I just want to encourage you that, man, there's been some powerful things said. We do have CDs and DVDs of the previous two sermons, Available And then tonight's will be available within five minutes. DVDs and CDs out there. And I encourage you to please get them. It'll be a blessing. Let's look in Romans chapter 5. I'm planning on sharing something a little bit different. It's all about how the Holy Spirit operates in our life. But I just felt I want to share these verses first. In Romans chapter 5, the first few verses are talking about... Well, let me just read some of this in chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. I could preach on that for an hour. I'm not going to do it in Jesus' name, but people don't understand this. They think being justified by faith, these are just religious words to most people, but it's talking about the way you have relationship with God is by trusting what He has done for you, not what you do for God. Most people today are taught that God loves you and responds to you and answers your prayer according to how holy you live. And the emphasis is on what we must do for God. You will never have peace if that's what you think because you'll never do enough. You'll never feel boldness. You'll always feel unworthiness. The only way you can ever have peace is to be justified just as if I'd never sinned 
through faith in what Jesus did, not because you deserve it, not because you've earned it. Man, there's a lot in that. And then in verse 2, it says, By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You have access. That word that's used for access there is the same word that we use for admission. You go into a theater, you pay an admission price. How you access or get gain admission to the grace of God is through faith. You have to believe. I talked to a number of people today who were wanting everything taken care of and then they were going to believe. That's not how it works. You believe first. You believe that God is real. You believe that you're forgiven. You believe that you're healed. You believe in the goodness of God and then the physical things change. Man, I could preach on that. And then in the next few verses, I'm going to have to skip some of this or I'll preach on it. But in the next few verses, he says, we don't only glory talking about heavenly things, but right now in the rough now and now, we're blessed. Because we know that tribulation works patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope makes not a shame. People have taught on that, that God puts trials in your life to make you better. That is not what this is saying. I'm not going to teach on this, but if trials made you better, the people who've been tribulated the most would be the best. And that is not true. Tribulations and trials do not make you better. They aren't given by God. It says in in, uh, Mark chapter 4 that Satan comes with afflictions and persecutions to steal the word from you. Your problems are not designed to make you better. They are designed by the devil to steal from you and to destroy you. And if you yield to it, you're going to be defeated. I also ministered to a person tonight who the scripture says... Uh, submit yourselves therefore unto God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You have to resist. You have to be fighting against him. And if you think God is the source of your problem, then you won't fight against it because you'd be fighting against God. If you really believe that God's one that made you sick, that God caused the divorce, that God caused the failure, your bank failed, your children went bad because he's trying to teach you something. If you really believe that, then to be consistent with that, you should never go to a doctor. You should never take medicine and try and get out of God's will. If God put that thing on you to teach you something, let it be as bad as it can get. Hurt as much as you can. I don't think anybody in here is willing to do that. But that's consi- if you think God put this problem on you, why are you doing something trying to stop God's will? Why are you going to get a loan if God's one that made you poor? Just be poor and get... Live on the street and get the full impact. That's not true. You gotta, you gotta resist the devil. God doesn't put trials on you to teach you something. But you can rejoice even in the midst of trials because the love of God has been shed abroad. Look at this in verse five. For it says, um, or excuse me, it's in verse. It says, and hope maketh not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. You know, I made a statement last night that probably the number one thing that happened in my life when I received the Holy Spirit was that the word of God came alive and my understanding increased according to John 14, 26. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, when he has come, will teach you all things and lead you into all truth and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've spoken unto you. And I said that that was probably the number one thing that happened. And you know, I'm not backing off of that, but real close to it, 
was also that my love for God just exploded. And actually, it was my understanding of his love for me exploded. And then as a result, I loved him back. And this verse is saying that it is the Holy Spirit that sheds the love of God abroad in your heart. Again, I talked to a dozen people tonight that if I could just somehow or another cut their brain open and pour in the love of God, they, their problem would have been solved. I had one lady that I was talking to and she had a list of things that were wrong. And as I talked to her, she was just broken hearted and hurt. And I said, you know what the real problem is, isn't your physical body. It's what's on the inside of you that's so hurt that keeps you from believing God wants you well. And makes you think that somehow or another you aren't worthy of God healing you and you aren't as good as other people and stuff. And, and boy, she started saying, that's true, it's true. And you know what she needs? Healing a body is easy. Seeing blind eyes open is easy. Seeing cancer destroyed is easy. It's not hard to get a body healed. The biggest problem is our heart. And most people are sick in their heart and their body's just reflecting the way that they are on the inside. I can tell you, the scripture says in Galatians 5, 6, that faith works by love. If you were to understand how much God loved you, if the love of God was shed abroad in your heart, I can guarantee you, your faith would go through the roof. Faith works by love. You would have no problem believing God. You know, when I had this experience with the Lord, March the 23rd, 1968, God's love was poured out in my life. And for four and a half months, I was just caught up in the presence of God. I was gone someplace. It was awesome. And did you know that instantly, I was, a, I was still a Baptist at this time. I had been taught my entire life that miracles had passed away, that things didn't happen. And yet when I experienced God's love, I intuitively knew that if God loved me and loved us this much, there is nothing that would be impossible that God wanted us to prosper. You know, I don't know how to convey that to people. I don't know how to get this across to you. But I've done this with people a lot. I've, I remember one guy, I was talking to him about God wanted to heal him. And he says, I know God can if he wants to, but I'm not sure he wants to. And I said, well, certainly he does. And he says, I'm just not sure that God wants to heal everybody. And I finally turned to his wife. She was kneeling beside his bed. And I said, do you think that if your wife had the power to just heal you, that there is anything you've done that would cause her to not heal you? He said, oh, I absolutely not. He says, I'm not the best husband, but she loves me. And I know that if she could, she would heal me. If she could, she would take my place and become like me so that I could be well. And I said, and you think God Almighty loves you less. You know, when you reduce it down to this, when a person is struggling to believe, will God heal me? You, you are struggling to understand the love of God. I had a man come to one of my meetings and his daughter was in a wheelchair and she was 12 years old and she was a vegetable. She was breathing, but she couldn't talk. She didn't interact. Her mind was just barely able to keep her body functioning, but she, there was no interaction. Twelve years old, she's still wearing diapers, and she had never had any interaction with anybody. The lights were on, but nobody was home. And this man was offended by what I was teaching, that it's God's will to heal, because the way he had coped 
was to say that God made my daughter this way. It was God's will and that somehow or another she was bringing glory to God and they were suffering for the Lord. And when I said that, no, it's God's will for him to be healed, well, I can understand why that offended him because that's the way he had been able to adjust and cope was to think that somehow or another God had a purpose in this. So he got mad when I said this and he left the service and took his daughter with him. And the man who brought him to my meeting said, why don't you wait until after the service and talk to him and maybe he can explain it or maybe you misunderstood. So anyway, after the service, I was talking to this guy and his daughter was in the wheelchair in front of me. He was standing behind the wheelchair and I started sharing with him about how God went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, Acts 10, 38. Third John chapter 1, verse 2, that God wishes above all things that we prosper and be in health, even as our soul prospers. 1 Peter 2, 24, by his stripes we were healed. If we were healed, then we are healed. And I started sharing scripture. And he started sharing some scriptures with me, like Romans chapter 5, that God put this on us to beat, to beat us down and to teach us something. So I was sharing scripture and he was sharing scripture. He thought I was wrong. I thought he was wrong. And we just reached a stalemate. And there was nothing going on. And so you know what I did? I used this same logic that I'm sharing with you. And I said, I just got in his face. And I said, what kind of dad are you anyway? What kind of man are you that wants your daughter to be in a wheelchair? and doesn't care if she ever talks or ever feels anything. And she's just a vegetable. What kind of father wants his daughter to be that way? This guy was already mad at me. And boy, he got really mad. And I mean, he was ready to punch my lights out. And he started yelling at me and he says, how dare you say that? I said, he says, I'd do anything. He says, if I could, I'd pay any amount of money. I'd make any sacrifice. He says, if I could, I'd be like her so that she could be like me. And he was just incensed saying, how dare you say that I wouldn't do anything and everything to get my daughter healed. And right as he said that, and I said, and you think God Almighty loves your daughter less than you do. And you know what? We could argue doctrine and scriptures, but when I brought it down to love, it just stopped him. And he says, man, I see what you mean. He says, how could God not want my daughter well? I'm telling you, if we had the love of God shed abroad in your heart, when you understand how much God loves you, faith rises up. Your life is changed. And this is what I was trying to say even before the, you know, I took the offering tonight when I first got up. That if you can understand how much He loves you, and regardless of what's going on in your life, understand the uh, glory that is waiting for you, the promises, the provision that's waiting for you in heaven and the provision that's available right now to the degree that you can receive it. But none of us receive everything perfectly. And if nothing else, you're going to be totally compensated in heaven. If you could ever get a revelation of that and understand how much God loves you and how much he's provided for you, it would just make it so that come what may, throw your worst shot at me. Who cares? Man, God loves me. I believe that. It's real in my life. And this is how I cope. I have a lot of bad things happen to me. I have things that bother me. I have things just like anybody else. And you know what? 
I just know that I know that I know that God loves me and I just focus on that and it just makes everything else like water off a duck's back. It just makes you immune. You know, I was literally in Vietnam right after I'd had this experience. One of the best things that ever happened was I got drafted and sent to Vietnam. It was awesome. Because when I went to Vietnam, I was a Baptist. And when I came out, I wasn't. And I didn't mean to not be a Baptist. I just got to study in the Word for 10 to 15 hours a day. And man, the Word of God came alive. And when I came back, I was speaking in tongues and they didn't want me anymore. And it was awesome. I mean, it changed my life. But here I was. I was caught up in the presence of God. And you know, 20 years after I got back from Vietnam, I was holding a meeting in uh, Chicago And a man came up who was a Vietnam vet and he was there the same time I was and he had written his testimony in a book along with uh, 11 other people. There was a total of 12 testimonies in this book about Vietnam. I had never read a book about Vietnam. I've never been interested in any of that. But this guy's testimony was in there. He signed the book and gave it to me and I knew he was going to ask me the next night if I read it. So I read his testimony. And it was really powerful. It was great about what God did. And I got interested and I read the next one. And then I read the next one. And and I stayed up all night long and read this entire book, 12 testimonies about what had happened. And it just grabbed me because uh, three of the people in this book were there the same time I was there. Two of them were in the same division I was in, the AmeriCal division. And one of them, I can't guarantee you, but he described an attack on a fire support base that I think I was there. It was exactly what I went through. And I was a chaplain's assistant and I flew out with the chaplain to this place called LZ Prep. And it wasn't wasn't any bigger than this room. And it was a forward fire support base where they were shooting mortars and things out into the field to protect the... uh, the troops that were in the field, and it was up on this real steep mountain, and it was a temporary place. They were just there to give artillery support to the troops, and it was being overrun. And the chaplain went out to, this was a Protestant chaplain, but it was the equivalent of last rites to these guys. They were about to be overrun, and so I flew out with the chaplain. And while we were in an area this size, we took 170 mortar hits inside of this perimeter in three hours. Can you imagine how much firepower that is? We were in these little cones that could withstand a mortar hit, but I guarantee you, we, the ground was shaking, and you could see the muzzle fire from the Vietnamese coming up the hill. And we were under heavy attack. We were totally surrounded and they, of course, they wouldn't let the chaplain uh, suffer. He was a major officer and so I flew out with him as we took uh, incoming rounds as we flew out and we got out and that hill was overrun and nearly every person on that hill was killed within uh, 12 hours of when we left. But anyway, I was reading this book and the guy was writing about that and he was talking about it from an unbeliever's perspective. And he was talking about, you could smell the Vietnamese. They ate this fish that was so strong, you could smell them long before you could ever see them because this fish would come out their pores. And they would get hyped up on dope and and charge the thing. And you could shoot them 15 times and they'd still come. They never felt anything. And it was... 
It was wild. And he was talking about all of this and talking about the things that were happening. And you know what? 20 years after I was in that situation, reading it through the eyes of an unbeliever, fear hit me. And I mean, fear grabbed me and I had to spend the rest of the night praying in tongues and getting my mind on God to get my equilibrium back and get my joy back. I mean, fear hit me 20 years after the fact. But you know what? I remember exactly what I was doing during that. I was so in love with the Lord. I was so excited about the Lord. And I had been praying for 13 months. God, let me just die and go home so that I could be with you. I was so longing to go and be with the Lord that you know what? I had my M16 pointed down the hill and they were too far away for me to shoot. So I never shot, but I I would have in defense if I'd have had to. And as I had my weapon pointed down there and I could see their muzzle fire and all of these mortars were coming in. You know what I was thinking? I was thinking, oh, this is awesome. Today could be the day I get to see Jesus. I was thinking, oh, Jesus, this is awesome. Man, today may be my day. And then I felt compassion for the Vietnamese because I said, they probably don't know you. And I was praying for them and saying, oh, God, bless these guys. As they come up here and I'm ready to kill them, God, help them. Help them to somehow or another reveal yourself to them. And I felt love and joy and peace flowing out of me as we were being overrun. And some of you think you can't do things like that. I'm telling you what being caught up in the love of God can do to your life. You could be in a situation where people are trying to kill you and yet you're just so excited about God. No big deal. Paul said for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he says, I'm in a strait between two. I have such a desire to go and be with the Lord But it's more necessary for you that I stay here. And he says, I'm convinced I'll stay here because it's to your advantage. But Paul was ready to go. He was so excited about it. And if we were really thinking the way that Paul describes, the way that he said that we, he's our example, we can follow him and we can do this. If you were to really get caught up, if you were to get a revelation of how much God loves you, if you were to understand how awesome heaven is, then when the doctor tells you you're going to die, you wouldn't start crying and fall apart like a $2 suitcase. I mean, we sing, when we all get to heaven, what a day that's going to be. And then the doctor says, you're going, and you start crying. (laughs) You could get to where, man, if you really understood how much God loves you, if you were going to die, you could reach out and just kiss the doctor. Oh, this is awesome. (laughs) This is awesome. Thank you, Jesus. I'm either going to go to be with you or I believe in healing and I'm going to believe and if I get healed, I'll just rub the devil's nose in it. Either way, this is going to be wonderful. It's going to be a wonderful thing. People could be telling you, you're going to lose your job and instead of you crying and talking about how bad it is, say thank you, Jesus, that if nothing ever worked out here, which I believe it should and God wants you to prosper, but if nothing ever worked here, I'm going to live in a mansion for all eternity. I'm going to live on streets that are paved with gold. And instead of you griping and complaining about what you don't have, you wanted five flat screen TVs and you only got four. You just pull your thumb out of your mouth and grow up and start saying, thank you, Jesus, that your provision is so great. Thank you that I'm not on the street. 
Thank you that I'm not living in a cardboard box on a dump the way that we were talking about this morning. I've seen people that have lived there their entire life and have never got off of a dump living in a cardboard box, 40 years old, never been off the dump. You could be praising God. Thank you, Father, that I'm not living on a dump. You could be praising God for what you do have instead of what you don't have. But man, most of us, and I'm saying this in love, most of us are so negative because you've not experienced the love of God. You don't know how much God loves you. If you understood how much God loved you, why would it matter what anybody else thinks? You know what? I don't like people rejecting me. I have people come up every time. Somebody's going to tell me they don't like this, they don't like that. Somebody's going to rag on you. And you know what? I have a lot of criticism, and I don't like it. But it doesn't keep me awake at night. I don't sit there sucking my thumb and thinking, oh, Jesus, nobody loves me and everybody misunderstands what I'm doing. You know why? Because God loves me. And I say this in all due respect to you, but compared to God, you're nobody. (laughs) And I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're the President of the United States. I honor God more than I honor the President of the United States. It wouldn't matter who you are. If you criticize me, compared to God, you're nobody. I had a man come up one time and just rag on Jamie and say all kinds of things. And anyway, I just stopped him right in the middle and I said, hey, who died and made you God? He just stopped and looked at me and says, what do you mean? I said, you know what? God loves her. I love her. God's accepted us. I just really don't care what you think. And he was like, well, how dare you? Like, I'm so important. You should value my opinion. And I said, you know what? I just don't give a rip what you think. (laughs) There's a lot of people that are afraid to tell somebody the truth because you might be offended and somebody might take offense. Jesus was so secure in the fact that God loved him that he'd sit there and say things and his disciples came and said, Master, don't you realize that the scribes and the Pharisees were offended because you said this? And he said, every tree that my father hasn't planted will be plucked up. They're the blind leading the blind. Let them be offended. He preached such a hard message. People came and wanted to make him king by force. They were going to make him king because they thought maybe he could free the Jews from the Roman tyranny. They they weren't in it because they loved him. They saw God as a way to get what they wanted, selfish. And he knew it. And so he started telling them, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood... You aren't truly one of mine. And the people thought he was talking to cannibalism. They thought he was talking about physically cannibalizing him. And they said, how can we eat your flesh and drink your blood? And instead of him saying, oh, I didn't mean to offend you. Please let me explain. Don't anybody misunderstand. I want to I get everybody on the same page. We all want a hug. Let's have a group hug. Let's don't anybody be mad. Let's everybody be in agreement. Instead of that approach, he just said, I tell you the truth, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. He just made it worse. And thousands of people who earlier in the day wanted to make him king left because he preached such a hard message. And instead of turning to his disciples and saying, oh, did you see what they did to me? And oh, isn't it terrible? I used to be so popular and now everybody's rejected me. Instead, he just turned to them and he says, will you leave also? There's the door. Would you like to go? Let's get it right down to the ones who are truly committed. Amen. 
You know why he did that? Because he was so secure in the fact that his father loved him. If you are hurt by people's rejection and what they say and do, it's because you don't understand how much God loves you. The only people that will ever let you down are the ones that you lean on. If somebody has let you down and broken your heart, it's because you were leaning on them instead of on God. It's because their acceptance is so important to you. You know, I was walking up the mountain one time with a friend of mine, and we have a mutual friend. I say friend loosely. He loves us, but yet dislikes us and criticizes us and says all kinds of things about us often. And we had discussed this before. And um, anyway, we were walking up the mountain and he got to telling me the latest thing. Have you heard what he said about you? Did you hear this? And he started telling me how this guy just ragged on me and said some really bad things. And I told him, I said, look, I just don't want to talk about it. I said, let's forget it. I don't care what he says. And so he got quiet and we kept walking up Pike's Peak. And pretty soon he looked at me and he says, why doesn't this bother you? He says, why doesn't it bother you when he talks about you? How come that doesn't bother you? And I said, because I don't place the value on his opinion that you do. I said, the only people that will ever rag on you and bother you are people that you have to have their acceptance. And if you ever get to a place to where God, you understand how much God loves you, you'll just reach a place to where who cares? You don't want to go out and hurt people because God loves them and you love God so much you want to honor Him and represent Him properly to other people. So you will love people because the love of God is in you, but you aren't going to love them because you have to have their approval. You have to have their acceptance. You know, we were listening to the radio. This has been many years ago. Some of you might recognize this song, but there was some song that was on this radio about somebody that, oh, I love you so much, I can't even close my eyes at night because I love you and I just can't stand to be without you. And I mean, I wanted to stick my finger down my throat and throw up. It was like, oh, it's so ugly. And then some of you think, oh, that's wonderful. Oh, you, you need to fall in love so much so that you just couldn't breathe without this person's love. You shouldn't be that dependent on any person, not your husband or your wife. Am I saying that you shouldn't love your husband or wife? But I'm saying that compared to God, there shouldn't even be any competition. I know many of you don't like that. But you know, Jamie and I, we love God first. And I'm secure in the fact that she loves God so much. And I know that God loves me that God's going to keep her in relationship with me and God's going to keep her loving me because I know that that's God's will. If Jamie and I only loved each other based on just us and just ourselves, you know what? That's why marriages fall apart because the truth is none of us deserve another person to stay with us forever. You might be deceived into thinking, oh, I'm awesome. You just don't know me. I can guarantee you, you live with a person for 36 years and you're going to offend them sooner or later. If Jamie gave me what I deserve, Jamie would divorce me. I don't deserve her. 
But you know what? I know that her commitment to God and her honoring God even more than she honors me is one of the best things that ever happened for our marriage. There's a times I act like a jerk and she still loves me in spite of that because she's got a relationship with God. I'm telling you that if you just are relating to each other because, oh, you can't, you can't stand to close your eyes because you love them so much then you're operating in carnal, emotional love, and it's going to come to an end. That kind of love fails, but God's kind of love never, never fails. You need to get to where you honor God, and then because of that, that's what keeps you, uh, you, make you have equilibrium in your life. That's what gives you strength. You know, some of you heard, heard me tell this story, but it fits, so I'm going to tell it again. I like this story. But... I go to Charlotte every year. I've been going to this church in Charlotte for 22 years. And there's a partner there that has a business and he has about 30 employees. And he invites me in and says, the clock is running. I'm paying you. Listen to this man as long as he wants to talk. And I get in and talk to these people. It's a company that makes the gold molding that goes on all wood burning stoves in the United States come from his company. And he has about 30 employees. And I just tell them about the Lord. And anyway, I did this a few years back and uh, about 10, I went, after I got through, I went into the break room and, and he gave him time off to come talk to me. And I got to lead about 10 of his 30 employees to the Lord and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it was awesome. And one lady came back who had tried to kill herself the day before. She was an alcoholic. Her husband was an alcoholic. She was on her fourth marriage and he had just told her that he was going to divorce her and she couldn't take it. She was saying, I've been divorced three times. This will be my fourth divorce. And she says, I just couldn't stand it. And so she tried to kill herself. And that was her first day back at work. And she came back into this break room. And she says, I'm not a Christian like you and Chip, the owner of this business. But I know that God is real. And would you please pray for me that I wouldn't get a divorce? She says, if I got another divorce, I just can't stand it. That's the reason I tried to kill myself. And she was crying. And she says, would you please pray for me that my marriage will last? And I just stopped this woman. I said, now, let me make sure I understood this right. I said, you aren't a Christian and you know that you aren't a Christian. She said, that's right. I said, if you were to die right now, you'd go to hell and not to heaven. And she said, that's right. And I said, and you want me to pray for your marriage and not pray for your salvation? And she said, yes. And I said, lady, don't you realize that after you've burned in hell for a thousand years, you won't give a rip whether you were married or not. Who cares about this marriage? You need to get saved. And it's just like I slapped her. She quit crying and she looked at me and she says, you know, I think you're right. I need to get saved. <laughs> and so I prayed with her and she got saved. And then I prayed with her. And I said, now let's pray for your marriage. I'm not saying God isn't concerned about your marriage, but what I'm trying to do is put things into perspective. We take these little things that happen here on earth, like divorce. Little things. Some of you, you've never been through a divorce. You don't know how I'm hurting. And all of a sudden you're offended. I'm saying that in comparison to the fact that God Almighty sent his son to this earth and died for your sins, whatever problem you're having in your marriage, whether it's divorce or whatever, is nothing compared to the love that has been shown you. And if you were to put things in that perspective, 
You could be rejoicing even if you're going through a divorce. See, most Christians, it's kind of like they build a little fence around them and they say, yes, anything within these parameters, if I've got a hangnail, I should still be praising God. And if I didn't get enough sleep last night, I'm still going to get up and say, oh, this is the day that the Lord has made. And as long as it's something that's not earth shattering, but if it's divorce, you should fall apart like a $2 suitcase. You ought to be crying. And if you aren't crying and if your life isn't miserable, then you're in denial. That's not true. The Bible says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. It says in Psalms chapter 16, verse 11, in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. If you are in the presence of the Lord, which he said he'd never leave you nor forsake you, there should always be fullness of joy. It says in 2 Peter chapter 1, I believe it is, verse 8, either 1 or 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, it says, but believing we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. If you're in faith, you can rejoice regardless of what's going on in your life because God's faithfulness to you and His goodness to you is so infinitely greater than whatever has happened to you. What is that? 1 Peter 1, 8. And God's supply is greater than your need. And if you were really having the love of God shed abroad in your heart, it'd be like, God loves me. Who cares what else is happening? Man, my life is falling apart. It looks like nothing is working, but God loves me. That's the most important thing that could ever happen. And I guarantee you, it just totally negates whatever the devil wants to do. I got started on this by saying the love of God is shed abroad in our heart. If you really had the love of God shed abroad in your heart, if you were truly experiencing it, and it's through the Holy Spirit, this is one of the major ministries of the Holy Spirit, is to show you how much God loved you. And if you were to walk in this and experience this love flowing through you, it would just give you an immunity towards all of the depression and the discouragement and the things that bother people. You know, we now have these prayer ministers that help me minister to people. But used to, I, I would have a prayer line and I was the only one and I would go through and I'd pray with people and I'd pray with hundreds and hundreds of people. And you know, there are people that would sit there and tell me their situation and they'd just be crying. And I, I've literally bit my lip before to keep from just laughing. Like this is it? This is what got you so upset? I've had worse things than this happen on my good days. But there are people that just get so offended, so hurt over relatively insignificant things. And it's because they don't have any presence and and sense of the love of God. They have blinders on and they're just looking at their problem. If all you do is look at your problem, you're going to be overcome. You have to look beyond that. You have to focus on God and see what He's got for you. And if you can do that, the love of God, if you focus on the love of God, the love of God will keep you from being discouraged and depressed. It will cause faith to abound on the inside. It'll just give you an immunity against all of the things that the devil wants to do in your life. And this is one of the main functions of the Holy Spirit is to shed the love of God abroad in your heart. If you have the Holy Spirit... And if you're depressed, discouraged, if fear is coming at you, if 
Uh, the doctor's told you you're going to die. If somebody else has told you you're going to be laid off, if things look bad, all you got to do is just turn on the Holy Spirit, start speaking in tongues, start building yourself up and edifying yourself. Look at this verse over in Jude chapter 1. In Jude chapter 1 in verse 20. But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. You know what that's talking about? Speaking in tongues. You, beloved, building up yourself on your most holy faith. There are different degrees of faith. You can operate in little faith or a big faith. But your strongest faith is when you are praying in the Holy Ghost. And then look at verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Increasing or looking for the um, mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. It says keep yourself in the love of God. I couldn't tell you how many people come to me and would you just please pray that God would pour his love out in my life. And I say no. And people think, well, why would you say that? What's wrong with that? The Bible says he's already done it. God's already commended his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. John 3, 16. God has already shown his love. It's not God who's not transmitting. It's us that's not receiving. And for you to come to me and say, well, I don't feel the love of God, so God must not be loving me. No, God's always loving you. You aren't always receiving. Well, how do you fix your receiver? You know, it's just like there's television signals in this room tonight. And if some of you think, well, no, there aren't because I can't see them. They're here. If you can't see them, it doesn't mean they aren't here. It just means you aren't real bright. They are here. And all I have to do to prove that there's television signals here is to turn on a television and tune it in. And when you start seeing and hearing the signal, that's not when the television station starts broadcasting. It's broadcasting right now. The signals are already here. You just, your receiver isn't on. You have to turn on a receiver and receive what is already here. The television set does not originate a broadcast. All it does is pick up what is already here and put it into a format that you can see and hear. Likewise, God has already commended his love towards every one of us. God is constant. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, never fluctuates. He always loves you. His love doesn't come and go based on your performance. And so his, he's always transmitting. It's your receiver that's the problem. And for you to come and say, would you please pray that God would just pour his love out? That's like coming to me and saying, my set, I can't get a program. Would you please call the television station and tell them to start broadcasting? It's not the station that's not broadcasting. It's your set that's either not turned on or tuned in or your set, your, bro your receiver's broken. Let's work on your receiver. Let's fix it. Let's make sure that it's plugged in. But don't go calling the station. The station's not your problem. So when people come and say, would you please pray that God would just pour his love out? No, that's not what you need. That's actually an insult. That's doubting. Well, I don't feel God's love, so God must not be transmitting. That just means that your feeler's not working right. God loves you. This is what the scripture says. And people are like, well, I don't feel it. Just pull your thumb out of your mouth and grow up. 
Man, I could get plumb off the subject right here. <laughs> but we have elevated feelings to the place of idolatry. It's an idol. Well, you prayed for me and I don't feel any different. Who cares? Well, I've got, if I don't feel it, nothing has happened. Well, do you feel television signals in this room? They're here. If you don't feel it, that doesn't mean that they aren't here. There's things in the natural realm that exist that you can't feel, see, taste, hear, smell, or feel. And we've come to base our life on that. I'm telling you that there are spiritual truths. There are spiritual realities. God loves you. He's already proven it. And when you say, but I don't feel it, would you have God do something else? That's just like a slap in the face of Jesus. Like, oh, Jesus, sending him to the earth isn't enough. I want a goosebump. I'd rather have a feeling. I want a little tingle up and down my spine. I want to have some prophecy. Somebody say something to me. That's more important to me than Jesus coming to this earth. Brothers and sisters, I know that there's a lot of people who think I'm insensitive. And boy, you just don't, you don't appreciate where people are. I'm saying that I'm more sensitive to what God has done than I am what my body feels and what things are. And in comparison, see the Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let me just share this with you quickly. By faith, quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, Our light affliction, verse 17, which is but for a moment works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are eternal, but the things which are not seen are, or excuse me, the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He says our light affliction, which is but for a moment. And some people think, well, see, Paul just didn't have my problems. Oh, I've got such a heavy burden. You know, nobody knows the trouble I feel. Nobody knows my sorrow. We, we write songs about it that glorify and talk about how terrible everything is, completely contrary to what the scripture says. And people say, well, Paul just didn't have my problems. If he'd have had my problems, he'd have never said our light affliction. If you turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you can le- read a list of his light afflictions. Being shipwrecked, beaten with rods, beaten with whips, being stoned and left for dead, being a night and a day in the deep and just on and on. And all of the problems, the care of the churches, the rejection, the ridicule, being branded as a heretic and of the devil and on and on. Paul had more problems than you and I have ever thought about having and yet Paul said it's just a light affliction. Now if Paul, who had greater problems than you have, could call his problems a light affliction, then how do you get off talking about how heavy your burden is? It's not because your problems are that heavy. It's because you're so weak. And I'm not saying that in a condemning way. I'm saying it to show that you just haven't appropriated the love of God. You haven't let the Holy Spirit shed forth the love of God in your heart. Once you understand how much God loves you, nothing else matters. It doesn't matter if everybody thinks you're just the most wonderful person. I don't think that you'll ever get to a place where you enjoy rejection. God made us for acceptance and something's wrong with you if you enjoy rejection. I'm not saying that. 
But you should reach a place to where God's love is so satisfying that it doesn't matter if everybody else doesn't recognize you, if nobody recognizes how important you are and whether you are the best person and whether your husband or your wife ever gives you the recognition that you need. You are so satisfied with God's acceptance that it just really doesn't matter. You don't have to be a person that's always so needy that you're always having to be affirmed. You're always having to have affirmation because you've already got your affirmation from the Lord. That's better. I'm preaching better than you're listening. That was really good. That was excellent. And you know what? There's a lot of people that just don't understand this. Paul said it's just a light affliction. Because for one thing, it's just for a moment. I mean, you're only going to live 70 or 80 or 90 years. That's nothing compared to eternity. You know, if from that wall to this wall was eternity, did you know your life would be less than the width of my finger? It's nothing. It's no big deal. If you never saw things work out in this life, you're going to spend eternity in the presence of God, healed and whole and rejoicing and under the blessings of God. You got nothing to gripe about. Oh, but I've been believing for my reprobate husband to be born again for 20 years. What? No big deal. No big deal. It's just for a moment. It's just a light affliction. It's just a little thing. Some of you say, but if I'm going through a divorce, I gave you that example of this woman. When we put things in the light of eternity, your marriage isn't that big of a deal. If nothing else, you ought to look at it this way. You ought to take that scripture that says, thank you, Jesus, in heaven they don't marry nor are given in marriage. Thank you that this is temporary. Thank you that this is only temporary. Thank you that I'm not going to have to deal with marriage problems throughout eternity. Hallelujah. Or you can take the scripture where it says that I've graven you on the palms of my hand. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And you ought to say, Father, you know, I'm not the perfect mate. And whether they were right or wrong, I probably didn't deserve everything. But but you know what? I'm not the perfect mate. But thank you that you'll never divorce me. Thank you that you'll never leave me. Thank you that you don't give me what I deserve. And you could praise God for his faithfulness when the other person has been unfaithful. And I know some of you are saying, you can't live this way. Well, don't wake me up because this is how I'm living. I'm telling you, the love of God has been shed abroad in my heart. And because of it, I don't enjoy problems. I'm not saying that I'm immune to them. My own children one time heard me talk about how I felt, but that I didn't go by how I felt. And I went by what I believed. And he came and says, I never knew you ever felt that way. I thought you were always just happy and blessed. Well, I always choose to be that way, but I have the same feelings as anybody else. I could be depressed and discouraged and bitter and fearful as anybody else, but I just choose to think on things that are above, things that are honest and pure and lovely. I can control what I think, and therefore I can control how I feel. It's up to you. I have people tell me all the time, I'm depressed, I I have depression, would you please pray for me? And I tell them, I say, there's nothing wrong with your emotions. They work perfectly. I say, oh no, you don't understand. I'm depressed, I'm manic depressive. I said, no, your emotions are perfect. It's your focus that's wrong. 
If you think on how depressing everything is, and if you look at every rotten thing that happens in your life, something would be wrong with you if you weren't depressed. (laughs) Your emotions follow what you think on. And, And I remember this one person, I said, let me tell you how you think. When you wake up in the morning, here's what you think about, oh God, I've got to get up. Oh, God, it was bad yesterday. It's going to be worse today. Oh, and you start thinking negatively about what can go wrong today. And you start anticipating things to go wrong. Before you get out of bed and even have a pain, you anticipate that you're going to hurt. You start thinking about, I know it's going to hurt when I get out of bed. And you start thinking of everything. And they said, it's true. How did you know that? And I said, because I can see the fruit. So I know what the root is. If you're depressed, you've been thinking on depressing things. You've been thinking on bad things that have happened to you. Well, I want these bad things to go and my feelings to change. You can't stop all bad things from happening. We live in a corrupted world. If you never bump into the devil, it's because you're both headed the same direction. You will run into the devil. You will have people that will get on your case. And Satan has more than enough people around to say something bad and to push your hot buttons. There's going to be problems. You can't stop problems, but you know what you can do? You can get so full of the love of God that if they're shooting mortars at you and if they're trying to kill you, you're just thinking about, oh, Jesus, today could be the day that I meet you. You can be praying for the people that are trying to kill you, saying, well, God, if they kill me, I know where I'm going. But, oh, what about them? Oh, God, touch them. Oh, Lord. You know what? I've lived it. Don't tell me you can't do it. I know some of you think I'm weird, but I think you're weird. (laughs) I think that this is the way Paul was. It's just a light affliction. I've been stoned and left for dead. I don't know if Paul was really dead or not, but the people who tried to kill him thought he was dead. He was so close to it. He passed for being dead and got up and walked 20 miles into the next town. You know what? He could have had a sore back. He could have had an eyesight problem. He could have been hurting after being stoned to death. And he says, it's just a light affliction. Paul was in prison so many times that when he went into a town, instead of going to check into the Marriott, he'd stop by the prison and he says... Save me a spot. I'll be there before this is over with. Amen. I'm coming. He'd stop in at the local jail and make a reservation. He was there all of the time. And when he was beaten and his back was hurting and he put his hands and his feet in the stock so that he couldn't even salve his back and, and ease the pain, he was in a dungeon and it was totally dark. There was no light. And at midnight, he was singing. And praising God. And here's a novel thought. He wasn't singing because he thought this might get him released and that God would send an earthquake and somehow or another praise would stop the devil. See, there's some people who've heard about the power of praise and they will praise God through gritted teeth, not because they really love God, but because they're doing it for a weapon against the devil. But you know what? Paul and Silas were singing and praising God and the Lord got to patting his foot and an earthquake came and it opened up all the prison doors and the stocks opened up and their chains fell off. And here's the amazing thing. When God set them free, they didn't leave. They weren't praising God so that they could get out of a bind. They were actually praising God 
because they loved him and their backs were hurting and they were in prison, possibly going to be killed, feet and hands in the stock. And they were still so in love with God that they were praising him not to get something, but just praising him because they loved God so much. That's That's rare as hen's teeth. (laughs) There's not very many people that will sit there and just praise God when everything's going bad. And somebody said, well, why should I praise God when everything's going bad? Not because things are going bad, but because of what God's done for you and how much he loves you and what is happening to you is nothing compared to all of the good things that God has already done for you. Again, people think I'm insensitive and I I wished I was more sensitive, but this is just the way it is. Amen. But when people come up and tell me how terrible everything is and they're just broken hearted, I want to just, I mean, the spirit of slap wants to come all over me. Like, what's the matter with you? Don't you know that Jesus loves you? Oh yeah, I know that Jesus loves me, but I've got a pain in my little finger. Well, just cut it off. Get rid of the pain. I mean, who cares? Oh, but my little finger is more important than God. It's more important than eternity. It's more important than the mansion that he's provided for me. It's more important than anything. I've got to get this hangman nail healed or I'll never rejoice again. Amen or oh me. And the sad thing is, this is so prevalent. Churches even embrace this and preach that this is the way you're supposed to be. And you're supposed to get down there and just wallow in the hurt and the pain along with everybody else. But Paul was saying, it's just a light affliction. It's just for a moment. Don't worry about it. We walk by faith, not by sight. Sad thing is, most people walk by sight, not by faith. You can get to where the Holy Spirit's love is so strong. You can build yourself up on your most holy faith and you can keep yourself in the love of God. If you don't feel the love of God, it's not His transmitter that's not sending. It's your receiver that's not receiving. So how do you get it to receive? Start speaking in tongues. Build up yourself on your most holy faith and that will keep you in the love of God. The Holy Spirit is sent to be the comforter is what it says five or six different times in John 14, 15, and 16. Let Him start comforting. Speak in tongues. Build yourself up. If you've got the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gift of speaking in tongues, you've got no excuse for not being encouraged. Now, there's reasons. Bad things happen. But if you were to use what you've got, you can build yourself up and keep yourself in the love of God. I don't care what happens. Amen Amen or oh me. And I promise you, if you did that, It would cause faith to just rise on the inside of you. And you would be so happy. It's like when you don't have grief and sorrow and bitterness and hurt and pain, it makes you like Teflon. Nothing sticks. The devil can just throw things at you and they just bounce off. It just can't stick. This is a better way to live than what most people are living. I would recommend it. And the Holy Spirit is the one that sheds the love of God abroad in our life. You need the Holy Spirit. 
If you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you need to receive it. And if you've got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, use it. Let Him be the comforter. If you need to be comforted, if you just aren't absolutely overwhelmed with how much God loves you, it's not God that's not transmitting it, your receiver's not turned on. Turn it on. Start speaking in tongues and build yourself up and keep praying in tongues until, praise God, you get fired up. Well, I did it for 30 seconds and nothing happened. You know, I've prayed in tongues up to 17 hours without a break before. So I would never do that. Well, it just depends how committed you are, how serious you are. If you're going to pray in tongues for one minute and say, God, I've got my favorite shows coming up in the next five minutes and I'm going to pray in tongues. And if you can turn my life around and give me joy and peace and heal my body and, and prosper me in five minutes, you got five minutes. Here we go. You aren't going to receive. The Bible says in uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, it says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. And then verse 12 says, and you shall seek me and you shall find, or maybe that's verse 13. Then shall you call upon me and you shall go and pray unto me and I will hearken unto you and you shall seek me and you shall find me when you shall search with all of your heart. Not part of it. Not just for the next five minutes. And if God comes through on your timetable and if it's, if it's convenient, if it doesn't make you miss a meal or if you don't, you know, you, you, you're going to go do whatever it is that you do. And and God, if you can come through in five minutes, well then I'll, I'll receive. No, you have to seek with all of your heart. Here's another way of saying it. As long as you can live without knowing how much God loves you, you will. But when you get to where you say, God, it's not you that's not giving. It's my set that's not working and I'm going to work on it until it gets fixed. I'm going to work on it until I start experiencing your love. And it doesn't matter if it's tonight or tomorrow or if it takes me a week or if it takes me a month or if it takes me a year. If it takes a year for you to break through all your hardness of heart and get to where you understand how much God loves you, well, then what are you going to be doing for the next year anyway? If you don't put that effort into it, then you're just going to be one one more year further away from it. You can't get there any quicker than starting right now. I'm telling you that God loves you. He loves you more than you have ever understood, more than I've ever understood. None of us have plumbed the height, the depth, the length, and the breadth of the love of God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, and then in verse 19, and it says, and that you might know the love of God, which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. If you could experience God's love, which passes mere intellectual knowledge about it, then you will be filled with all the fullness of God. If you aren't filled with the fullness of God, you haven't experienced the love of God because the love of God will cause you to be filled with the fullness of God. Healing, deliverance, joy, peace, prosperity, anything that you need comes from understanding how much God loves you. And once you understand that love... Nothing can stop you. You know, a little baby, when they're in their father's arm, they don't sit there and say, I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that they're going to feed me, that I'm going to get a bike when I'm two years old. And they don't manipulate and make their parents do things. But you know what? They just have this relationship. And a little kid comes running in and says, Mom, feed me. 
They don't fall down on the floor and, oh, I know I'm unworthy and I know I didn't make my bed and I know that I didn't clean up my room and I know I haven't mowed the yard yet and I know I'm not worthy of anything, but would you please give me a little crumb? You know, if I was in your house and your kid came in like that, I'd think something's wrong with this person. How are they treating that kid? And yet that's what many of us do. Oh God, I don't deserve anything. I'm so unworthy. I haven't been studying the Bible. I haven't prayed. Would you please just give me a crumb? I know I don't deserve to be healed of everything. But if you could just heal this one thing, I could probably survive with the rest of it. You know why people do that? Because they don't know how much God loves them. And you could have a relationship where you just, you, you trust God. You don't have to struggle to believe because you know Him. You know how much He loves you. And a person that loves you as much as God loves us, it says in Romans chapter 8, He that spared not His own Son but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? All things. If you are struggling to receive, you are struggling to believe that God loves you. Let the Holy Spirit shed the love of God abroad in your heart. Understand how much God loves you. Let Him. It says in Psalms 35, verse 27, Let God be magnified, which has pleasure in the prosperity of His servant. You have to let God be magnified. He wants to bless you, but you have to let Him. He wants to show you how much He loves you, but you have to let Him. You have to encourage yourself, build yourself up on your most holy faith and keep yourself in the love of God. And that is one of the greatest ministries of the Holy Spirit is to just show you how much God loves you. You know, if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you must, must receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then you need to let Him do His work. Let him glorify God. Let him tell you how much he loves you. And he's going to use you to tell you how much he loves you. You're going to have to read it and then speak the word over yourself. You know, when I first experienced this, I would take scriptures that I am the righteousness of God. That as Jesus is, so am I. That Jesus said he sended me the same way that God the Father sent him. And that he loved me as much as he loved Jesus. I would take those scriptures and I'd look in a mirror and point at myself. Eyeball to eyeball and say, you're the righteousness of God. Jesus loves you. He doesn't see sin in your life. He sees you righteous and holy and pure. And when I first started saying those things, all the hair on the back of my head would stand up. And I'd think, oh God, don't strike me dead. I'm saying this because it's what your word says. And, but I felt so unworthy and I felt like, how could I do this? But I saw it in the word and I intellectually knew it was true, but I didn't feel it. And I just started speaking it and ministering the word to myself. There's some of you think, well, I would never do that. I just want God to tell me. God has told you in the word. And if you want to hear it with your physical ears, you're probably going to have to speak it to yourself because not very many people are going to tell you that God's a good God and that He loves you. They're going to tell you that God's angry and that He's ticked off and that because you haven't done everything right, you aren't going to receive. You're going to have to start ministering the Word to yourself. And your words about yourself affect you more than anybody else's words about you. 
When somebody else speaks bad about you, go to what God's Word says and speak what God says about you, that you're accepted in the Beloved. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. I am accepted in the Beloved. Well, I don't feel accepted. Well, then your feelings are wrong because the Bible says you are accepted. I don't care whether you feel it or not. It's what the Word says. Quit exalting feelings to where it's an idol. What does the Word say about you? The word says he so loved you that he gave his son. If he put that kind of value on yourself, who are you to devalue yourself and say you aren't worthy? Who are you to talk about how sorry you are? You're exalting yourself above God. You need to humble yourself and say about yourself what God says about you. Amen? Is there anybody in here tonight who needs to receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues? Man, if you don't have this, you need the Holy Spirit in your life. We've already had over 150 people receive, but I know that there's new people here tonight. If you haven't received this baptism of the Holy Spirit, and if you don't speak in tongues, you need to receive that tonight. Is there anybody here say, that's me, I want you to pray for me? Anybody? Here's a young lady down here, a guy over here, anybody else? Be bold with this. Here's one over here. Here's some over here. Praise God. Isn't this awesome? And those of you that have already received, I hope tonight that God has just stirred you up, that you know what, I am not taking full advantage of the Holy Spirit because He is sent to shed the love of God abroad. When I pray in tongues, I can build myself up on my most holy faith and keep myself in the love of God. I hope this has encouraged you to use what you've got. It's a shame to have this tremendous gift and not take advantage of it. The Old Testament saints didn't have the Holy Spirit. What we have is so much greater. And yet many of them did better with less. Not because they, we don't have what they have. What we have is greater. We just haven't been fully utilizing it. You know, if you raised your hand, or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, would you just get up out of your chair and come forward, and we want to pray with you down here, give you a book to help explain this baptism of the Holy Spirit and help you to receive the love of God. Just come forward right now and let us pray with you. Praise the Lord. You can come with her if you'd like to. Is this your daughter? You can come with her. Just stand facing me. Stand facing me right here. We're going to have people come up and stand behind you and lay hands on you. So don't stand behind each other. Stand beside each other like this so that people can come up behind you. Okay? Step forward up here close to the stage. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else want to come and receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit? Let me say it this way. Is there, are there other people out there who don't speak in tongues. You ought to be up here. And I know somebody's probably thinking, well, I don't believe that you have to speak in tongues. I don't believe you have to speak in tongues either. You get to speak in tongues. It's a privilege. It's an honor. I'm not speaking in tongues right now. You know, it's up to me whether I speak in tongues. There's a lot of people think, well, if God wants me to have it, I'll have it. That's not true. That's like saying if God wants me saved, I'll get saved. No, you have to choose. You have to make Jesus your Lord. You have to deliberately make a step. It doesn't happen automatically. You have to pursue it. 
I believe that there's some people sitting out there that for whatever reason you've been prejudiced against speaking in tongues and you aren't coming forward, but the Holy Spirit wants you up here. You know, the Lord just spoke to me, the Holy Spirit, I believe, spoke to me that there's three people out there that He's dealing with that you should be up here. And yet, for whatever reason, maybe you've tried it before and you just think, well, I don't know if anything would happen. Here comes one. Well, that's three people, one and two kids. Anybody else? There's some more up here. Here's one, two. There's at least one more out there that you ought to be up here. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That's great. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. See, that's three people we wouldn't have been ministering to if you didn't have the Holy Spirit to speak to you and tell you things. All right, before we can receive the Holy Spirit, the Bible says you have to, first of all, be born again. It says that Jesus is the one who fills with the Holy Spirit. So you have to receive the giver before you receive the gift. Is there anybody here who's not absolutely certain that you are born again? If you aren't born again, the first thing we have to do is pray for you to be born again before you can receive the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of people that think going to church and trying to be good and you hope that you're good outweighs your bad and God's going to accept you on the basis of that. That's not true salvation. True salvation is making Jesus your personal Savior and receiving salvation as a gift, completely independent of what you deserve. Is there anybody here who's not absolutely sure about your personal relationship with the Lord and you want to pray first and get born again? Anybody? Anybody? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand so I can see. Right here's one. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Are you sure? I'm not trying to talk you out of it, but you got to be sure. Amen. The Bible says that when you get born again, you have a witness in yourself and you know that you've passed from death unto life. You know that you've been changed. Everybody else here, sure. Praise the Lord. You know what we're going to do? We're going to pray with you first. And the scripture says in Romans 10, 9, that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that's more than just saying the word. You got to believe it in your heart. You got to make him your Lord. That doesn't mean you're saying I'll never mess up. I'll never fail. But you're wanting him to take control and, and be Lord of your life. And if you're willing to say that and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You willing to do that? Amen. You believe he's alive and living in you? Amen. Usually I have to lead people in prayer, but you know what? You were ready. She's already confessed it. You believe that Jesus honored that promise and that you're born again? Amen. Welcome to the family. Awesome. Isn't that great? I got a book I'm going to give you that will explain what's happened. You know, you still look the same on the outside, except you're smiling a lot now. But you know what? It's not your body that's changing. It's not your mind. But in your spirit, you're a totally brand new person. And this book will help you to understand that. But now all of us here are born again. And so according to the word of God, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He created you. To fill with the Holy Spirit. He wants you to have it. You don't have to beg Him. And some people teach that you got to have all sin out of your life. And that you got to be perfect before you can receive the Holy Spirit. But the reason the Lord wants to give you the Holy Spirit is to give you power so that you can overcome. So if you've got sin or problem in your life, that's not going to stop God from giving you the Holy Spirit. That's the reason He wants to give you the Holy Spirit is to give you power 
to overcome. So there's nothing that's going to stop God from giving. I can guarantee you right now, God is transmitting and releasing the Holy Spirit. So we aren't going to beg and plead. We're going to trust that this is his will. This is what he wants for you. And we're just going to ask one time. Luke eleven thirteen says, If you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask? So we're just going to ask and trust that he gives. And then I've got all of our prayer ministers. I'd like to ask them to come up here. And these are people. The scripture says that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit is given. And so these people are already filled with the Holy Spirit. And as I lead you in prayer, then they are going to lay hands on you and release this power of the Holy Spirit into your life. And so we're going to ask, they're going to lay hands on you and release this power. And then I want you to quit asking and start believing that God's word is true. He said, if you ask, he'll give. And so I want you to Quit asking and start thanking Him and just saying, Thank you, Father, that I am filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you do that, after they lay hands on you, I want you to lift your hands because the Bible says when you lift up your hands, you, you magnify the Lord. You bless the Lord. This blesses God. It's like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I surrender. This is your way of yielding to God. So we're going to ask. They're going to lay hands on you. I want you to lift your hands and start thanking God. And then those of us that know how to pray in tongues are going to pray in tongues. Because the Bible says when you pray in tongues, you are giving thanks well. Praying in tongues is praising God. And so we're going to start praising God in our tongue. And as we start speaking in tongues, then you can start speaking with us. And I know some of you say, well, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to do this. I've got a book that's going to explain this and help you. But if you're ready, you can speak in tongues right now. The Holy Spirit won't force you to speak in tongues. He doesn't take your mouth and make you talk in tongues. You have to speak. Acts 2.4 says they spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance or the inspiration. God's not going to force you to talk. You talk and believe that God is inspiring it. And once you get over the initial shock... You'll find out it's just the Holy Spirit allowing you to pray from your spirit and bypass all the doubt and the fear that's in your mind. So that's what we're going to do. Y'all ready? Everybody in agreement? The Bible says in in Mark chapter 16 that these signs will follow them that believe. They will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer. And I will speak in a new tongue. Amen. Father, I agree with all of these and we just thank you that they are now born again. That, Father, we are all saved. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, we just open up the doors of our temple. We welcome you. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us. We want this power that Jesus promised. We want the Holy Spirit to shed abroad in our hearts the love of God to keep us built up and in the love of God. Father, we want it. We ask you for it and we believe that we receive right now. We lay hands on them and say, receive the Holy Spirit right now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, we loose this power and this anointing to flow towards every one of these right now in the name of Jesus. Boy, there is the anointing of God. I believe that the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit is flooding your temple right now with His power and ability. Now, let's lift those hands and start thanking God. Regardless of what you feel like, the promise is that God said He would fill you. So now just start praising God 
and thanking God that He is faithful and that He's given you the Holy Spirit. Talk out loud. Start talking with your mouth. Praise Him in English if you have to. Now, those of you that know how to pray in tongues, let's pray in tongues right now. And as we start speaking in tongues, you join in with us. Just start speaking right now. You know, if you don't know what to say, you can listen to the person behind you and you can try and say what they say, but your tongue is going to be unique to you. It'll be different. So if you can't say it, if something different comes out, just keep talking. Don't worry about what it sounds like. It's when a little child first starts speaking. It doesn't sound like a real language. And it may not be, but boy, the parent knows what that kid's trying to say. God is pleased. Just start speaking now. Thank you, Jesus. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. You're going to have to open up your mouth and start speaking. You can't talk in tongues in English at the same time. When you're speaking in tongues, the Bible says your spirit is praying. You're bypassing your brain. You're coming right out of the born again part of you. Man, this is power coming out of you. Just be bold with it. Talk out loud. Talk out loud. Don't worry about what it sounds like. You aren't talking to people. You're talking to God. God's hearing your heart. God is hearing your heart right now. Thank you, Jesus. Sister, your life is changed. Boy, power is flowing through you. Satan's tried to beat you up. Now you turn the tables on him. And you pursue the devil. You are going to have power flowing through your life. Distress, fear is over. Joy and peace is coming on you. There is the anointing of God. People are going to look at you and say, what happened to you? There's going to be so much joy. It's like you can't wipe the smile off of your face. I just lose the love and the joy, the peace of God to flow in you right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Jesus. Man, you're praising God. You're praising God without any unbelief, without any fear, without any reservations coming out of your spirit. You're praising Him in a pure language that isn't polluted or diluted by anything that's gone on in your life. Isn't that great? Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let me have your attention here for just a minute. I'm sorry to interrupt you. But you know what? You need to understand what's happened to you right now. This is really important. This could transform your life. Everything that I've spoken tonight is dependent upon you having the Holy Spirit and knowing how to pray in tongues. And, and it's like flipping a switch that starts the flow of the Holy Spirit. I was just recently with Oral Roberts in his home. And Oral Roberts spent about 30 minutes just talking about how powerful praying in tongues is. That you really can't pray in English until you've started praying in tongues. You don't know how to pray until you start praying in tongues. And he just emphasized it over and over and over. This is really important. And I tell you, you need to understand what's happened to you. So I've written a book 
that explains this. And even if you didn't speak in tongues right now, I believe that God was faithful to give you the Holy Spirit. When I first prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I believed I received Him, but I didn't speak in tongues right away because I was a Baptist. And I had so much fear about speaking in tongues. I'd been taught so many wrong things about it that I wouldn't let myself speak in tongues. I was waiting on the Holy Spirit to just force Himself out, similar to when you threw up. You just couldn't stop it. And you know what? The Lord had to explain some things to me and teach me. And anyway, I've got it all figured out and I wrote it in a book and this would really help you. And I want you to get this book because you need to understand what's happened to you. And this book will also talk about being born again. It'll explain that. So this is Samantha right here. She's a real blessing and she's going to take the people into this little uh, room right there. It's a prayer room and we've got books over there that we want to give you. And also there's people that if you have any questions, they'll answer your questions. And if you need prayer, they'll be praying for you. So if you would just follow her for just a moment, because we want to make sure you get the maximum impact from this. Just follow Samantha right there. And uh, you can come back in just a few minutes. Let's praise God for all of these. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Man, you're going to be joyful. This was for you tonight. You know that, don't you? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I tell you, we've been having great miracles happen. If you have to leave, you know, you're gonna, I'm going to release you in just a moment. But if you can stay, we've been seeing awesome miracles. We've been seeing deaf ears open, people that couldn't walk, walk, and just all kinds of great things happening. So these are our prayer ministers. And if you have anything wrong, if you want prayer, I'd like to ask you to just come forward and let one of our prayer ministers pray with you. Some people think I'm the only one that can pray for you, but it's not me. I can't heal a gnat. It's the Holy Spirit. And these people have the Holy Spirit. Every one of them has the Holy Spirit. Every one of these know how to pray and be a channel for God to flow through. And we can pray for you more effectively if you will let us pray for you. It's Jesus is going to heal you. So if you need prayer, just come forward right now. And we've got people standing at the aisles that are going to direct you towards a prayer minister so that you won't all just get in front of one person. And I pray that you'll cooperate with us. If you need prayer, come forward right now. The rest of you, if you need to go, you're free to go. Remember that we have CDs and DVDs that are already duplicated out there. And you can get the services, the three services that we've already had, and they will uh, have those ready for you. And you need to get this. You need to listen to the message I gave tonight more than once. You really do. Next time you get discouraged, you ought to put this message on. And it'll bless you. So praise God. If you need to go, thank you for coming. Remember, we'll be back at 10 in the morning and 6 o'clock tomorrow night. Not 7 o'clock, but 6 o'clock Tomorrow night we'll be back. God bless you. Thanks for coming. You're dismissed. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, we agree with all of these and just thank you, Father, that you love us. Father, thank you that you love every person so much that you sent your son to die for them. 
And if you love them enough to die for them, you certainly love them enough to heal them, to set them free. Father, thank you that your love is here. The Spirit of the Lord, the power of the Lord is present to heal. Father, we receive that. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to flow through us. We believe that you have given every one of us raising from the dead power. Father, we believe that on the inside of us is the same anointing that raised Jesus from the dead, that we have it. And so we release it right now with our words and we curse sickness and disease and command it to leave people right now. Thank you, Jesus. You know, there's people out here in this crowd that have had oppression, depression, discouragement on them. And you know, I've ministered to that all night long. And I believe if you will take what I've talked about and operate in it, you can beat depression and discouragement regardless of what's happened. But if you have given into it over a prolonged period of time, Satan can actually build a stronghold in your mind to where there is a demonic power that has ensnared you. You can still break free from it, but if you have been giving into this and focusing on the negative to the point that you have a stronghold and you really have a severe problem with depression and discouragement, I'd like to just ask you to stand right now. And what I'm going to do is break this and get you back to normal. And then go out and change the way you think and from this time on walk in it. But right now, there's an anointing of God here that's going to set people free from depression and discouragement. Here's one right here. If you're already standing, I want you to stand if this is you and raise your hand so I can see who this is. And we're breaking this and from now on, you're going to have to take what I talked about tonight and operate in it, but we're going to get you back to normal right now in the name of Jesus, amen. Father, I thank you for all of these people. We just confess that, Father, this isn't something that's organic. It's not a chemical imbalance. We've just had some hard things happening. We focused on it and we've amplified it. And we've been thinking on the negative. And, Father, our emotions are messed up and Satan has reared up strongholds in our lives. 